Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to our thought-provoking podcast with myself... Actor, writer, director and deep thinker Libby MacArthur Counsellor, life coach and all-round mountain man Ross Hislop And compassionate, strong advocate for women Motivational speaker and broadcaster Anne Hughes In this series of podcasts We will be talking about the things we hardly ever talk about In each episode the three of us are going to attempt to unpack The obvious, important, enormous life topics Questions and controversial issues That all of us know about ever mentions or wants to discuss because it makes us at least some of us feel uncomfortable nothing is overlooked this is the elephant in the room hello there so here we are again with that elephant and that spotlight and this podcast we're doing just now, we're actually going to start talking about that big subject most of us avoid, death. Mm. So it's interesting, I think that, um, (laughs) I remember my dad saying to me once when I was really young, that the older you get, the quicker time goes, and death looms. (laughs) And I remember just thinking, that's dead depressing, shut up. Um, but I realise now that he looked to me like he was old and he should know he was an old man. And now I realise I was I'm his age now, probably. And and you just feel the same. But you know that you're in the second half. You're in that, you know, you're not young anymore. So the subject of death, I think, is something that I have actually been thinking about in terms of it just seems to be much more of a of a of of a kind of presence because now folk I know are dying. Mm. So I've got a wee list of folk. So I'm an orphan now and my wee brother, the baby the family's gone. But you know, folk that you know that lovely camera guy, he's dead now and just heard the other day about a beautiful wardrobe lady, she's dead now and you think God folk have been and gone and went and happened. Folk that I was having coffee with and lunch with and Big chats we have been and gone and went and happened. Where have they gone? You know, so I think it is a big subject that I, I'm, I'm keen for us to speak more about in terms of um, feeling that when the deaths that I were that that I know were mine, like my mommy, my daddy, my brother, you're never the same after folk have gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it changes you. It mm-hmm. changes who you are, and 
and it, it kind of puts you in that realm, whether you mm. want to be in that realm or not, it kind of puts you. So I've got loads of loads of stuff I, I think about it, and, and I, as I say, I'm keen to talk about it. Mm. You're growing up, you get programmed a bit, or well, I certainly did. The only thing that's true in life or certain, the only thing that's certain in life is death and taxes. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from, but I'm sure if I looked it up, it must be written somewhere because everybody used to be, hey, Ross, there's only two things you can be sure in life, son, death and taxes, death and taxes. So I don't know what's worse, paying taxes or death, but um, yeah. aye, you're right, you get to a kind of point, Libby, where you get to this age and I'm halfway through my, my stunt, but I'm halfway through my stunt. Um, you know, it could be gone tomorrow, but have I prepared for it right? Have I lived or have I been too terrified about dying because I was never really taught enough about it that I've actually never lived? And that's the question I've started asking now. I think I'm certainly in the last year I've came... I would say in the last year I'm sort of very close to accepting death. I don't I don't fear it now. Um, although is that strictly true? Because uh, at the weekend I was uh, I was hill walking and I've had this feeling twice in the last year. The first time was last year. I was walking the West Highland Way on my own. I'd just pulled my rucksack on and thought my way to walk the West Highland Way and I was just on the last leggy completing uh, Loch Lomond. I'd been by the Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond for two full days and I was that I'd, I'd, I'd became quite connected to Loch Lomond and I didn't really want to be leaving her banks. I'd right enjoyed walking beside her and I come up over the top of the hill and I was in the middle of nowhere. Loch Lomond was to the back of me. I didn't know what was in front of me and it was quite a heavy climb coming up out of that last bit and I got a wee bit of a pain in my chest my, my chest started to get tight and I, I went, oh no, I'm going to drop down deed. Who's going to fund me? Right? What am I doing out here? Are you daft? Right? Are you mental? Right? Why are you out here walking yourself? You've not even got any, you've not even got any phone signal. Like the phone signal was going to help me for a chronic heart attack. So that was once I got that and that brought a lot of anxiety and it actually put me to my knees. The fear was crippling me and the anxiety was so strong. And then just on uh, Saturday, just yesterday, I was up in Arica climbing some Monroe's. And, some? Uh, some, I'd done a couple. <laughs> and uh, I'd done the first one. And I'm thinking, I could go back to the car and I looked at the second one and I went, no, I'm going to go into the second one and all. And up I get and I'm about two thirds of the way up to the top and the mist came in and I couldn't see where I was going. And I lost the path and I started giggling, thinking I'm lost. And then I went, Ross, that's certainly very funny. Nobody knows you've done the second one. You've not told anybody you're going to have to do the second one. For anybody that's in the car waiting for you and is at home, you've told them you're going there to there. Now, nobody knows you went from there to there and then decided to go there. And I got that same feeling. I could mm-hmm. just drop down dead right now. Nobody's going to know where I am. Nobody's going to be able to find me. I'm you're the last one up here. It's quite a past You're not very risk-aversive. I've never done the risk assessment before I left. Like, text my pals. This is where I am. PTW. So... It's an interesting thought that's got a lot of fear around it because mm. mm. that brought up a lot of fear, thinking they're not going to fund me in the morning, right? How am I going to land? Am I going to land face down in the mud? I've got to bang my head in the way down. Am I going to look all right? My eyes <laughs> got to be shut, my eyes got to be open. And um, so as we no, talk we about death... Uh, we don't want that for you. When we talk about death or when I think about death, there is still a lot of fear surrounding it. Mm. And... Um, I think our previous generations and forefathers were perhaps slightly better because they had an account with the co-op. 
and they tied their funeral up before they died, <laughs> right? And they, you can still do that, Ross. You can right? still do that. I've seen the adverts on the show. <laughs> and they, they had a thing called a will. Oh. Right? I know a lot of wills are really funny, but I don't think they're going to take any day when I don't have to indeed. So I really need to start getting my house in order. Has anybody got a will? Have you got a will? I've not got a will, but, but, I, have, will but I have to mm-hmm. set my stall out. I have actually nearly died. Mm-hmm. So I've looked right down the barrel of that gun mm-hmm. And I do believe Whether you're into it or no I don't know whether we'll chat about it That I chose to come back um, I had a brain aneurysm And I was in a coma for nine days And I had two failed brain surgeries And then one that worked And um, I sat here a miracle And so now, interestingly As we start to talk about death I can tell you for sure I looked through that And I have no fear of it It looked quite lovely And when I had made the choice, obviously I am in a coma when I believe I made this choice, so it's on you whether or not you, you believe this, I do. Um, I thought my children, and especially my wee boy, who was only two at the time, I was like, he will never know my voice, I will be a woman in a picture. My girls need to know who I am, because they, again, were only like eight and 13. I was like, they need to know me. And therefore, I need to make sure I go back. And so I do feel as if I made the choice. But what I would say now, when death does come to me, I'll be all right with that because it looked Mm. quite beautiful. I think one of the things around death for me was my mum died the same week Brian was born. Mm. So my son, uh, Brian, I was a mother and motherless all in the one week. One and one (laughs) Exactly. And, (laughs) And one of the things that... That kind of I didn't maybe tell everybody. It actually felt natural. Um, it felt. I mean, it was very clear my mummy wanted to go. Um, I was very privileged to think that my ma and my dad both chose their time to go. You know, but literally the baby was shoved under her nose. I, I, the, I had a cesarean. The doctor said I had to stay to the Friday and sign myself on the Thursday. Went straight to the hospital and shoved the baby under her nose and she died hours afterwards. So she hung on to see Brian and then my sister slapped her up her hand through the morphine so that she came through the morphine and saw the way in and spoke to me and then she died hours later. Um, so she she wanted to go, my mum was very clear about that and she went when she knew we were okay. And there was something about it that, that was like the baton being handed over that mm. actually felt very very clean cut, clean cut to me. And, 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 and you think that would be the worst thing of all. You're mad dying the same. And it certainly, you know, it would have been nice to have a mammy and a, a, a granny there, especially now that I'm a granny and I think about it that way. I can't believe my son didn't know my mammy. Mm. Can't believe that. That just seems so odd to me. Having said that, maybe there's something in that. Like, do people really go? You know, she was really I felt as if the plug had been pulled out for the lamp but plugged into another source like you know, another mm. another lamp because she was very present that whole time and I was you know had baby Brian just felt she was in the mirror every time I looked mm. you know so if really you know that thing of where folk gone when they go where are they really they gone? gone are they gone mm. have you seen a dead body before Ross I was thinking about my first encounter with death, mm-hmm. and my first encounter with death was as a, as as uh, I was brought up in a kind of small holding, like a kind of miniature firm, and we had sheep and bits and bobs like that. And um, I don't know if the mother sheep had died or she just rejected her lambs, but for some reason I ended up with a pet lamb when I was about six or six ish, um, two I think, because they were quite Nicky and Jodie. I mind that, and I used to have to feed them milk out a bottle. 
Oh, and I'm I remember, so jealous. Aye, I, I, I remember the, the big, thick, red teat on it, and it was a big, like a brune medicine bottle. And I used to have to go out and feed the wee lamb, and anyway, I went out one morning, and the lamb was dead. And of course, I never knew it was dead, but it was rock hard, and I picked it up, and I walked right out for the wee shed that I had it in. I remember distinctively walking through the path, through the kitchen, up the hall, into my mom and dad's bedroom that were fast asleep, and said, I can't get Nicky to feed, and sat the lamb on their bed. Oh my <laughs> God. And, of course, the lamb was dead. <laughs> and I never knew. I didn't even know what death was. I couldn't understand. Uh-huh. And as I'm thinking back, as I'm thinking back, the strangest things are happening. Like, I can remember what it felt like when my tooth was loose as a child and playing with it and then it fell out and there was a gap and it wasn't there anymore. <laughs> and it felt really odd that that gap was in the front. <laughs> and it felt huge. It felt like you could That's park a motor in it. But then when you said about a dead body, I've only buried my grandfather, my grandmother and my grandfather, but I found my grandfather dead. As I said, I was brought up my kind of fantasy farm. My grandfather still stayed there and he hadn't made it to the pub on a Friday night. And of course, I went down and kicked the back door in and he wasn't in the house. And I was walking up and down the path. And is there another world? Is there a God? Is there something else? I think they're all questions that I ask. I've not fully committed to it, but something turned my head around and I found his hat lying at the side of the path. And I put his hat in my head and whether I'm imagining this or no, it still felt warm. And I looked down and there was a wee pond at the side of the path and there he was floating in it. And I went away down and uh, turned oh, the moor. And, and, uh, and in that moment, I remember holding him in the water and looking up at the sky and it was almost like there was an invisible swirl went up into the sky and that was him gone. Although he'd been dead in that pond probably all night. So that was my encounter. Because I was very, very close. My grandfather was like my father. Almost a privilege to be the one that I found him. I was so privileged to be the one that found him. And folk, when, I, when, when people had heard in the village, they heard that story, folk would come up and go, oh, that must have been tragic for you, son. And my answer was no. He was walking to the pub on a Friday night. What would have been tragic was going into a care home and spoon-feeding him baby food, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that would have been a tragedy. So mm. I'm honoured that, that I got... Oh, I'm honoured by that experience. Aye, um, aye. So aye. There is something great about seeing a dead body in as much as... Strange thing to say, great about seeing a dead body, but if you cared about it, whether it's the lamb or the cat or the dog or the <laughs> grandfather, what you realise is they're no there. And you are looking at a husk, a casket, a something that isn't of them. Or containers. Or containers. It's 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 kind of reassuring that, that you know the, the swirl has swirled mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> away. And it's it's um, and maybe maybe they are in our hearts, maybe they are with us as much as they ever were. Mm. Do you know what I mean? In our perception of them. Death is something I suppose that's always been in my experience. I do have a my mum died when I was just no longer turned fourteen. She had had leukemia, so she wasn't well for a few years. And um, when you've got leukemia, you need a bone marrow transplant. And she had she had two brothers that were matches, so we were all geared up for the fact she was going to get better. But sadly. It seemed at the time as if it was unexpected. It was unexpected for me, but I was only a wee lassie. 
um, was uh, unexpected for everybody else. I think it was. I, I think it was. But um, so death has always been there. And what's been dead fascinating for me in my journey with that, and right up until you know fairly recently, um, I always had the belief that I would die in my forties. She was forty eight, and um, I always had the belief that I would therefore die in my forties. So when I woke up for that brain aneurysm that nearly killed me, I was not even remotely surprised that something had happened because I always knew something would. And um and then that even continued after that. I still thought I had cheated death, but death was looking for me. So I, I thought that for a good couple for literally since February two thousand and seventeen until I would say that May this year, and I was doing some stuff and I had the realization that it was just a thought. It was real, <laughs> which can sound very obvious as I sit and say it to you, but it didn't seem obvious to me. And so that has just set me off in a. Of course I'm going to die because we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. I feel all right about the fact that I'll die someday because I think it looks quite pretty. But whether or no I die in my 40s has got nothing to do with the fact that my mummy did and it's got absolutely nothing to do with whether or no I think I'm going to. Mm-hmm. And so I feel as if death is just like, just runs through, has run through my whole life. Sure. Death has just always been a thing that I've thought about no thing that I feared, I'll be really honest with you, with the whole belief that I was going to die, I was going to die in my 40s, it wasn't a fear I had, it wasn't something I was scared of, it was just something I accepted. Mm-hmm. It was just an acceptance. I think that's, I've heard that story before of folk who've lost loved ones that, that died very, very young, that there's almost that kind of sense of, well, why would that not be me next, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I think shifts my feeling about death is that I'm now a granny mm-hmm. and probably one of my most favourite people in the whole world at the moment is Chloe and uh, and because she's only 20 months it, it has occurred to me as if I had to count it up in my head that by the time she's 30 maybe even I'll probably not be here so it's that kind of thing of how much am I going to get of her before I before I go, you know, and of course we all know we're talking an ideal scenario here. We're talking by that time I'm in my eighties or nineties even, but none of us are promised tomorrow. No, but um, but my granddaughter made 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 the thought of death a, a, a different thought because of course I want to I want every bit of her. I want to eat eat everything, you know. But I think it's isn't it about everything's about the happy medium, isn't it? Because I want to live long enough that I get to see my children grow up and live their lives and have their children, perhaps if that's the road they choose to go down, and I get to experience my life. But I don't want to grow so old, well, as you said about your granddad, that I'm in a care home, that all my pals have died, that my sisters have died, that I'm. You know, that the only people I know are now my children who have got this obligation to look after me. I don't want to be an obligation for anybody. I, I want to have that happy medium where I die just before... Just before all my pals and my sisters. <laughs> I don't know, but just before life becomes... Well, I don't really like it here. Because if you've spent time with older people, what you will know is my dad died six years ago. And what was very apparent with him, he was... had a Healthy, never been in hospital a night in his life, wasn't even born in a hospital. And he was 81. And um, he got diagnosed with um, prostate cancer and died 16 weeks later. He felt as if, that's okay. I'm okay. I don't know what he felt. This is what I think he felt. Sure. I'm okay with dying. He had buried, he was one of ten. He had buried all his brothers and sisters. Yeah. Buried his wife 25, 27 years before. He had buried, you know, all his pals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he loved his children. And he loved his grandchildren, but 
he was all right to be able to say, but I don't want to stick about for treatment and chemotherapy. And oh no, God no. I think it's really possible to have a a, a really splendiferous death. I think it's possible. To, the perfect to, death. I like to have a really good. And I I remember that with my dad. He he was very vocal. You know, pet, I've given up the ghost. You know, I'm out of here. Mm. You know, and and it was it was again that privileged thing. It was brilliant to be able to say to him. Oh, go on yourself, big man. You know, good job. It wanes. Well done. Thank you for being such a great provider. And and you know, Godspeed. You know, to to that's a funny phrase, and it Godspeed. But just just whatever it is, I I wish you all the best, Dad. Because you know, I'm just full of gratitude for who you've been. You know, but he was very clear he wanted off the planet. In fact, he said um, he said when a nurse said that he didn't have anything terminal because he literally, I think the world he lives is a big, big thing because he'd actually said he was out of here. Um, when the doctor said he didn't have anything terminal and I laughed, he said, it's no fucking funny. And I had to say, a little, say later on to him, Dad, was he laughing at you? I was ask, laughing at the idea that, that she was saying that when you were clearly out of here. And he said, I'll give you Christmas Day and hug me and that's your whack. And he died on the 1st of January. He literally named the day. That would be good, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Put it on your calendar and say, "Right, everybody, get their dancing shoes on mm. for the for the week." Mm-hmm. Listening to yous have got me thinking. These podcasts they get you thinking. <laughs> Committing to a conversation gets you thinking, thinking, and I think that's part of everybody's problem. We don't commit to conversations, conversations. anymore. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm still very locked on what Anne said minutes and minutes and minutes ago about acceptance. And I just went, it's so lovely. Acceptance is such a beautiful thing. And whatever it is, whether it's death or unhappiness or alcohol or whatever it is, see if you're no accepting that you've got a challenge with it. It's got you by the balls, right? But the minute that you can accept that it's coming, you change the dynamics of it completely. And I don't like the word control, but if you've no accepted death, it's controlling you. Totally. The minute that you can accept it, You've got some kind of control of it. Uh, same with alcoholism or whatever it might be. That key word, acceptance. I think it's the best word for love, Isn't acceptance. acceptance. I think it's, it's my favourite word. For, and if you accept whatever's going on, mm-hmm. is, is, and, 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 and more than that, what you were saying earlier on in the other podcast, then, was the, the idea of um, being 100% accountable for your own life. Mm-hmm. You know, then... There's every chance that you could be 100% accountable for your own death as well. You could mm-hmm. imagine it was your mm-hmm. time. You could mm-hmm. imagine this is time for me now. You know, it would be wonderful to be in that position just to be able to say to everybody, listen, guys, this is my time, you know. Um, but we don't talk about it in such denial that it happens to absolutely everybody, you know. This, you know, this is a life of impermanence. It's all exactly. around us, you know. My dog's dying at the moment, my, my skip, you know, she'll probably not be with us for the next two or three months and... God, that's, you know, that's a journey in itself. You know, just make, make sure she's going to mm. be... You know. you know, and I think about death, I think, and I suppose, I did, again, I'm taking this for a place of <coughs> having experienced it almost. Um, it's not about the death, and I know you referred to, you know, if you could pick the day and pick the time. And I actually, but I reflect on myself and how I live my life now, isn't it, about the death. 
that I have, it's about the life I live that leads to a death. So I couldn't say, you know, I ideally I'll, you know, I'll be in a wonderful place. I'll be up in Findhorn and I'll be in my favourite place and I'll have everything will have been said and everything will have been done and this is the perfect time to die. But I think realistically, we don't know when that death is going to come. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's about the life that you live. And is your life worthy of a good death? Because if your life is not worthy of a good death, then it's the life you did drank. It's not the death you did drank. Mm-hmm, and I'm sure. John A., you know, and um, and I talk about this probably quite often, but it's the, the Tolstoy's short story, um, The Death of Ivan Illich. And he was like a magistrate or something, hundreds of years ago, obviously. And... Um, and he's just quite miserable in his life. And then he falls off a ladder and then he's on his deathbed. So I'm no clear if, maybe it isn't clear or I can't remember, but, and he's on his deathbed and he's sitting with his wife that he doesn't really love and she doesn't really love him. And she's holding his horn and he's on his deathbed and he looks at her and he says, what if my whole life I was wrong? And then he's unconscious and then he dies. So it was his last cognitive thought. It was a moment of clarity. And I think it's, that's like so like, don't wait until you're dying before you realise, shit, I got it wrong. But it's funny, these words of wrong That drives right. me, right. but that what drives me. Yeah, but what, what do we think is wrong living and what do we what's think is right, right living? So it's an inside thing. I mean, to say that it's something I'm projecting Subjective. on anybody about what life is, what makes your life right and what makes your life wrong. But what, what, what I think we're hearing, and, and, and I totally agree with you, is that idea of being totally present in your life. Uh-huh. You know, when he's, when he's doing his life wrong... It's like basically what we know of that is he's he's not he's not you know it's like when I think about not living my life fully wholeheartedly it's all to do with complete nonsense it's to do with fears of you know it's almost like I look at the past and that's where all the judgment lies and I look at the future and that's where all the anxiety lies and actually in the moment everything's beautiful in the holy instant that I find myself in almost always. Um, I'm this, like you are, a walking miracle, you know. Mm-hmm. We all my internal organs all mm-hmm. working away, pumping blood and breathing for mm-hmm. me and all that. And it's like it's it's like if we lived life rightly, I don't mean it in the judgment way that you, you didn't mean it either, but then we would almost be just kind of going, hallelujah, hallelujah, you know, because the sun's coming up and doing every day. And, we, you know, it's almost like if we really did live life and... Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you would there would be loads of it. There'd Free be so the much stories. of it. Well, there'd be so much of life. You'd be going, Absolutely. oh my god, there's so much life to be having here. And maybe that's what happens here. Our, our older relatives, like our mas and dads, when they get when all their brothers have gone and all their sisters have gone, all their pals have died and stuff, you get to that acceptance, Ross, that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. You actually you get to that point where you go, well, why not me? Mm-hmm. I've 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 lived my life. I'm repeating myself. It's great to hear you speak and hear your hear your opinions and your thoughts. It's beautiful, isn't it? And then what Anne said earlier on as well. And we just don't have these conversations, but we're talking about death and we've jumped into where I where I was going there was death and dying is minute to minute, moment to moment, because I'll never be the person that I was yesterday. And you know. I've got a daughter we were talking about over lunch that I've no seen for two years. And it would have actually been easier if she was dead. It's actually harder that she's still alive and I don't see her. But the person that I thought I had to be, which was her father, that died. Huh. We no seen her. Huh. 
because I don't have anybody to give that love to. Mm-hmm. And the jobs that we have that there's redundancies going about right now, that's a death. There's deaths all the time. So when you're not being authentic and you're being a role, a character, there's always going to be a death. Mm -hmm. Because if I was wholeheartedly who I am, whatever that might be, (laughs) it's a great concept and I'm very eager to go on a journey of exploring that. But when I'm a role, I'm an actor in the world, acting as if I am a whatever and that redundancy comes, I will go through a death because the personality that was running the show in order for me to show up to do that wasn't authentic. There's going to be an attack because there was an attachment to that because that had to hold me up and prop this three-dimensional illusion up in the first place. So when that gets redundant, I collapse. There's a death. There's a death in who I thought I was in a relationship that's no longer there. Sure, there's all these wee mini grief, mini grieving processes. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Dennis Potter when he was dying. You know, the writer, and he knew he was dying, and he looked out his window, and there was blossom. And it's a very well-known moment now that it's recorded that he said there was it was the most blossomy blossom. You know, it's that thing of if if we knew that that that, that if we really get out the denial and and we're really present to those moment by moment by moment, kind of you know layers falling away, you know, almost jumping towards the death we know that's inevitable. Maybe if we actually did it in a in a, a, a totally kind of connected way, we would just be overwhelmed with gratitude for all the all the stuff that that, that mm-hmm. stuff, you know, all all the all the moments that are full uh, you mm-hmm. know, full of mm-hmm. full mm-hmm. of wonder really. I think when I when I reflect on it, because I do sometimes feel in my brain, I think, is slightly different. No, I don't think. I know. I'm slightly different. My thought process and everything is different. And that could be a brain injury. That could be trauma. Who knows, right? But I think differently now. And I now live life very intentionally. And I feel as if I sort of I have a secret that nobody else knows. Mm-hmm. And it's a wee bit like jokes on you, pal. <laughs> Because you don't like work with me, and jokes on you, pal. Because <laughs> I'm fucking exceptional. Did you know I was a miracle? And but there's also that like I, I go into everything I do with an intention. Uh-huh. So I knew, and, and and I had a saying for a while when I was first getting better and stuff. I would show up for what shows up. I showed up for some mad amount of shite. So now my rule is, if I put joy, because only me that can put joy. A job isn't going to make me joyful. It's me that brings the joy to the job, mm-hmm. whatever that job may be cleaning the toilet or going out for dinner or doing whatever I'm doing, right? So I came up with this whole thing. If I believe that this thing today will bring me joy, like recording this podcast for you, then I will do that. And I will continue to do things every single day in every single way that will bring me joy. I work for myself. Who knows? I might end up packing shelves. But if I bring the joy, then every day of my life will add up into a fucking beautiful lifetime of lots of days full of joy because it's me that brings the joy. Absolutely. And that's something, I don't know if that was nearly dying that's gave me these insights, but it's insights that are very obvious to me now. It's brilliant because we all know we've got that pal that thinks that they are, it was the other party we should have gone to because they're obviously having more fun than the one we ended up at as, appo- as opposed to just being present to the, exactly. what, you're, what you're bringing to the party. And so Absolutely. if we were to reflect on that whole thing about me saying, you know, I want to live a life that's worthy of my death, whatever my death may be, mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. That's irrelevant because I'm off of here. I'm out of here right after that. Um, therefore, when I talk about day in life right, and I mean that as a very individual thing, 
for me doing life right is bringing the joy to the table every day of the week mm-hmm. and it is showing up and it is being oh my god I'm my best pal it's lovely I've, I've always been very interested in the the, the death process I've always been interested as a way and I was always burying wee sparrows that I found and putting wee crosses on them uh, you know kind of always having a wee ritual so I was doing that as a kid and so I've now just trained as a celebrant so I'm, I'm, I'm not, I could bury you and I, oh. c- I couldn't marry you I couldn't marry you Ross but I could bury you um, are you know that kind of celebrant? no I will be eventually but it's a legal requirement so I need to train again for that but <laughs> so here I am I'm, 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 I'm very drawn to being the official the official at a funeral um, and I'll be meeting a lot of people who are, are, are going through the grieving process and I suppose one of the things I, I, I want to think I can do in terms of being in service in that arena is to encourage people to talk encourage people to talk about their, their lost one and, and keep them alive you know keep them in their hearts keep them in their heads keep them keep them active I know when my mum died I'll never forget this. We we went back to my mum and dad's house after my mum died, and we just talked about her for hours. And the amount of laughter we went. No, I remember that time because my mum was a total eccentric, you know, brought up by nuns in Nazareth House. Completely, she was very um, lonely in terms of. I don't mean lonely. She was very independent. She she lonesome in her own headspace and everything. We all wanes about her in the Catholic Church and all that stuff. And that man, she did what she did, and it was her choices, you know. But so there was hundreds of stories about her being wildly eccentric, and we laughed and laughed and laughed. And there's something about I think I know my mum now better than I did when she was alive, which sounds bonkers. Mm. But there's a bit of me that thinks it's really important to to keep talking about the people we loved, to keep talking about them, keep them close to us, keep looking at the photos, keep going over the videos that we've got if we're lucky enough to have videos. I thought that. That, Aye, you know, and I think it's just because my mom and dad didn't have stuff as such. I went, I read a lot of bangles, and one of them is as one of my mom's bangles. But um, and I, I say I don't need stuff to remember my parents. I, I see my, I see my mom when I look at myself in the mirror. I see her and my my daughter sitting in the, the couch crocheting the other day. You know, I see her in a hundred things in a hundred ways and a hundred times. I don't need there to be stuff. I don't need to visit a gravesite. I don't need to do these processes that people think is how you respectfully remember or how you respectfully mourn. I think it's like, it's all on you. It's an individual choice, isn't it? These little micro-adventures of death that we go through, they all have their stages and each of us will land on that lily leaf of a stage and stay on it as long as we need to stay on it, be that Mm -hmm. anger, denial, grief. Mm -hmm. Well, a bit preparing for somebody to die of either of you's been down that path where you know well you have because you talked about your mum and you mm-hmm, were pregnant mm-hmm. obviously when mm-hmm. my dad was clearly dying um, I remember when I, I had a wee notebook and if I had the, the bag with me I would be able to show you it because it's still in the bag that I used to use at that time and still have and I used to when I was sitting at the bedside because we would all take turns so he was never himself um, and he wasn't conscious and um, I would write all these wee memories I grown up in it about me and my daddy. And so I've got this wee tiny notebook that's this size and it's full of the memories that I wrote about me and my daddy and growing up while I was sitting at his bedside while he was dying. And it was a beautiful way to prepare for somebody that you love dying, I have to tell you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely true, isn't it? I remember going to um, 
hospital fields in Aberdeen and it was a it was a bunch of folk who had HIV and AIDS mm. and they were making hope chests and I was a drama worker there and there was so the idea was that in these hope chests there would be everything there'd be stories and there'd be pictures and there'd be music and and they would be left behind for people um, to remember them mm-hmm. uh, after they'd gone the, the folk could and of course at that point uh, it was called the T4 group and at that point folk were um, really felt if you had HIV and AIDS you were you were a goner I mean that mm-hmm. was that was a way back in the 80s and it really really felt that folk weren't going to survive this then um, but I remember there was videos being shown and they were videos of people who had already been and gone and happened and we were all sitting around and the cook in the place, we were there residentially, so we were there for about two or three days, and the cook in the place, I'd already told her that my dog was having puppies due to puppies. So there was three friends living in my house looking after the dog. The flash, was going to have puppies. And we were watching these videos and the videos were of people who uh, were gone and every single video was somebody saying, guys, don't worry about me. I've got a foot in both camps and I'm telling you, it's lovely. I'm feeling great. And then the cook would run down and go, puppy number two! <laughs> and then Robbie would get really So we're watching these videos of, and I can't tell you the amount of joy and happiness and love and laughter that was in that room. Mm-hmm. And as the puppies, there was nine of them in the end, uh, as the puppies and the cook would come back, they'd puppy number four! And we're like, uh. So here were all these people who, you know, were in a process of looking at death and thinking that that might be them soon, watching videos of people who were laughing and joking and saying, you know, you know, remember me, remember me through laughter, remember me through here's like, you know, and the songs that people picked and the the, the poems and the the things that they all picked, they were all really really upbeat and hopeful. It, it was one of the most mm-hmm. striking weekends I've ever had. We ended up, I don't know if you remember Shaboom, the all female drumming. Um, um, big, and there was a big band called Shaboom and they were amazing we snaked the hospital fields had all these brilliant big gardens and we snaked like a conga line uh, with Shaboom at the front banging drums and we all had a, either a whistle or a you know snare drum or something and we snaked all through the gardens mm-hmm. just celebrating life you know mm-hmm. celebrating life mm-hmm. That that's really what we're trying to celebrate get here aren't we? we're trying to get to the celebrate being use, instead of using the thought it. of death as, as a, a way to celebrate life isn't it absolutely mm-hmm. 100% instead of walking about moaning and gaining our power away and actually becoming empowered and becoming empowered is by accepting death mm-hmm. you know and totally accepting it yeah we moan and we complain and we give our power away all the time when in actual fact we're far more powerful creatures than we'll ever be and you know there is a saying isn't there in the personal development world not that I've been involved in it for a long time but you'll only get back when you let go mm-hmm. you know and what if that was to be true of death as well that when you can just let go of the fear that yeah. surrounds it how your life opens up and as you've been talking I'm, I've not got a definitive day of when it happened but around about last it was probably last year and I had been working with a native uh, person on some trauma that I'd had and I went through a kind of death and rebirth kind of experience and like you I feel as if I looked down the eye of that gun and got to see that you just you don't know when it's going to happen but you also don't know what it's going to be like and it's also subjective and you're like you know you think I think a lot of fear around it is, is it's like it's going to be safe mm. but you don't know because you're in a non-conscious state when it's happening. Exactly. You don't feel that, like, you've just hurt your finger with a hammer. It doesn't feel sore. 
And I came to that acceptance and I can wholeheartedly say right now, and I don't, there's also been a part of me no wanted to say it in case it gets taken away from me. You know that way? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to speak about it in case it gets taken away. But these are, these are, right? Mm-hmm. But I have had the best year. I've had absolutely the best year of my life. Being 47 since last September, since I did that work with that guy, my life has opened up. I have got more energy than I've had when I was in my 30s or my mm-hmm. 20s. Mm-hmm. I'm doing more with my life. I'm enjoying the moments. Yeah. And I was walking up a Monroe yesterday and I was interviewing myself you know <laughs> as you do as you do I was just interviewing myself so I do that as well you know like what are you doing it's like I have got such a connection with my what you would call higher power or I don't want to sit here and go oh God and this and that because it's I don't know if there is a God but it's a God of my understanding that there's something more than me True. and see when I can connect with that none of the stuff matters Absolutely. It just doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Do, you know, do you know, Russ, like you, I believe this is the hard bit. This yeah. dragging about this mortal coil is actually the difficult bit. Uh-huh. I mean, I, 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 I think that when we when we shake this off, I believe that we are catapulted into the light. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe that the oyas, oyas go to the same place because there is only one of us here and we, we are actually, actually spiritual beings having a physical experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's speaking of somebody who's no religious. Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't a religion in the world that I would particularly follow or, or, or adhere to any practices, although I might cherry pick oil them mm-hmm. <laughs> just for fun. But um, I, it, it's it really... At the risk of sounding maudlin, I think this life of impermanence is the shocker. Mm-hmm. This is the one that, that that I just feel such compassion for us all. Kind of living with the death as the, the kind of big the big shadow at the end of it all, you know. It's hard for us to be fragile. What if death is the prize for living? Let's just let's just say that's what we're saying, right, guys? Definitely. <laughs> right. Definitely. Yeah. We'll be back soon. Okay. <laughs> spotlight on a different elephant. Thank you for listening to our programme. You can find future episodes on Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. With thanks to Kyle Webster for editing and mixing this episode. Music was by James Buchanan and you can find more of James's music by clicking the link in the description. This podcast was produced by Solus Productions Limited. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.